Hi guys, welcome to Psychic Days. I'm your host, Kirsten Sandifer. Today I'm really excited. We have a, an amazing guest that you're going to be really excited about too. Um, his name is Sen Elias. He's a conjure man root worker, a witch and initiate into the Alexandria tradition. He studied European witchcraft, uh, Southern folk magic, and Western hermeticism. But he's also the owner of Crescent City Conjure, which um, if you haven't heard of it, you definitely have to check it out. It has a very no- well-known reputation for his authentic spiritual tools that you can use in witchcraft and conjure. And he's a well-respected teacher and authority in Hoodoo and Conjure. And he's not taking any new clients at this very moment, but uh, it's because he's in pretty high demand. But uh, you guys can uh, check with him in the near future, I guess, once he gets some openings, I guess in like a month or so. But in, in my study of Hoodoo and Conjure, nearly every teacher I've had has recommended him uh, because he's authentic and they vouch for his work, which is a pretty, a pretty big thing. Um, so check out his shop online at www.crescentcityconjure.us. And so we're thrilled to have you today. Welcome, Sen. Hey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So how did you get um, your start into Hoodoo and Conjure? Well, um, Hoodoo Root Work and Conjure is, um, is a form of folk magic. And so like all folk magics, um, it follows um, a, a certain um, way that it is carried forward through the generations. That's usually orally, right? So folk magics are what uh, people who study and practice the occult would call low magic. And what that means is that it belongs to the people who were common folk that didn't have a lot of money, weren't necessarily rich or necessarily well-educated, who do work and conjure as a result of the transatlantic slave trade. So that would make sense as far as uh, cultural context. Um, How I got my start, um, it it relates to, um, and of course is the same story that, um, you know, I believe that you're born into uh, as a hoodoo practitioner worker um my grandmother would call it a, a root doctor um and so it's up to the older generation the generation um before you to recognize that something is different right and so uh, my family recognized that something was different with me i was having different experiences i was interested in religion and spirituality when i should have been interested in like basketball <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so, um, you know, my grandmother was the one who identified it because she also has uh, gifts. Um, Hoodoo is African-American folk magic. It's how um, indigenous African African spirituality and beliefs collided with Native American folk magic, European folk magic, uh, when um, due to the transatlantic slave trade. So we still see that being carried on orally in, in African-American households. But of course, um, since its arrival in America, um, that family tree, as far as that's how spirituality breaks off and is shared amongst other people, cultures, or races, um, it's not just, and it's not only an African American thing now. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's wider than that. Um, but that's how, that's how I got started. Um, I was having a different life experience when I was a child. Um, my grandmother, um, kind of, uh, informed me as far as what was going on with me, or at least gave me some context to better understand uh, the spiritual nature of what I was experiencing. Um, she's the one. Wow, that's great that you had that. I didn't, I didn't have that at all. So I was sort of 
running around in the dark. I was just thinking I was a weirdo, you know, pretty much. So. Well, I say she saved me from the nut house. Yeah. <laughs> God knows where I would be if I if I didn't have a spiritual context for it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I think a lot of people kind of ask this question too. How how does hoodoo relate to the history of the ATRs and? It's. I think we should. I just want to make the distinction that hoodoo is not a religion, and like unlike you know, like voodoo. So, how can you speak more to that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it's really interesting because the more you learn about, and so for, and so for um, African Americans in in America, right, and in the context. Mm-hmm. Who, who do work in conjure or people from the South, because that's where you're going to see a lot of this work um, carried out and, and, and practice strongly. Um, so uh, you, you don't, when it, when you're raised in, in it, it has a heavy, heavy and thick Christian overtone. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're not really thinking about, you don't, you don't get introduced to it alongside of the Lawa or the Orisha or the Ampungo of other African traditional religions. So it's not, it takes time for, I think, someone who was, was born and raised in, a, in that household, someone who's, who, who, who carries that within their blood to circle back around and understand some of the similarities that hoodoo has with other ATRs, African traditional religions. Um, the more you look at it, the, the more similarities that you, that you can find, the technology um, and the spiritual uh, methods and the worldview are all very the same. For instance, we, let's look at Palo Moyombe, right? So we see the pot mm-hmm. and we see the Mpungo being housed in, in, a, in a container. Um, it's similar to that of a Grigri. The idea that a spirit can be contained in a, in a, in a container is that that's the fabric. Um, that's the work of building something that lives and breathes within a, within a, um, a container. Um, you see it in, uh, practices in a certain Orisha practices with their, um, with their, uh, with their pots, their spirit pots that house their Orisha. So it's a similar idea. It's a similar use of natural materials to build something that's more complicated. Um, so, uh, when the hoodoo mainly comes from the Congo, so the western parts of parts of Africa, um, of course there were different people who were captured, and, and they had to come up or in, in, able, in, for them to share their information amongst each other and to maintain some type of continuity. Um, they had to share some of their core beliefs. So, of course, different parts of Africa held different spiritual beliefs. Uh, Africa is a huge continent, so right. um, you know there were some baselines that were shared. Baselines like belief in ancestral veneration that our ancestors continue on even after they pass. Um, ideas like animism that every natural and living thing has a certain spirit to it, and even if it's not necessarily natural, for instance, money or commerce, because it has such an importance to human beings, we imbue it with a certain spirit. So it can be used in a, in a context of who do we work and conjure. These, this baseline of belief um, uh, was what is what was passed on uh, or what came over here to America. So we don't necessarily see um, the Orisha, the Lawa, the Mpungo, all these very specific spiritual practices um, that you'll find in Africa still still practiced. Um, we see a baseline of, of agreed upon information that came over. And then that information is what um, evolved into something new, uh, that it evolved into um, uh, something that they didn't have the same roots and flora and natural materials that they had uh, in Africa. So they had to communicate with Native Americans, um, mainly 
about the spirits that were in the roots because the Native Americans held that wisdom as well. So there was a shared conversation that can be had. Kind of a hodgepodge, I guess, kind of a mix of different cultures coming together and using what they have to make things work. Absolutely. Yeah. Out of, out of necessity, you know? Um, and so that's, that's where, that's how hoodoo evolved in, in America. And since then, um, that, that original seed, um, those original roots have communicated with a lot of different, uh, cultures and have evolved even further. So we see Jewish mysticism involved due to Jew, uh, Jewish merchants being present in the South. We see, um, Chinese medicine being, uh, being involved. And now we're, we're beginning to see a, a stronger lean to more the, uh, Afri- the more the Afro diasporic, um, traditions. So it's really, it's, it's, it's an evolution, just like the folk that are a part of the folk magic. Folk magic is organic as the people continue to grow and travel and pick up information. And so does the, the tradition itself. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think the difference is really between root work and conjure? Can, can you talk about that? Cause I know some people confuse the two and think they're both one and the same, but that's a very good question. It's, it's really, that's a very good question because you'd be surprised. Some people who, who, um, who talk a lot on the matter don't even know the difference. So it's, it's, it's very wise of you to, to ask the difference. So root work is specifically about the roots, right? It's mm-hmm. specifically about those things that grow within the ground, grow above the ground. When we say roots, we're talking about flowers, you know, trees, herbs, you know, all these other things, not just roots. You know, we're calling it's root is a catch-all word for herbs and, and all that other stuff. Root work are the techniques that are involved in elevating the spirit of a living thing. So, you know, we have oregano, right? We may season chicken with oregano. Mm-hmm. So now is our chicken a magical recipe? <laughs> a recipe? Uh, no. <laughs> root work is the techniques that take it from seasoning to something that can be used in a spiritual context. It's taking something that has an indwelling spirit and making it even better. So for instance, let's say you you, you meet someone who has a, um, a talent of uh, uh, to play instruments. Um, of course, they still want to go to school and create and, cre- and add skill to their talent. And that's how you take someone who has raw ability and make them something great. It's the same idea. If that's, I think, the easiest and simplest way to understand. Ah, okay. So something that has an indwelling spirit, something that's already living its life, um, and you're performing certain techniques over it so that now it has the ability to actually do work. Um, more than just elevating the spirit of, of a root, your a root work is about sec- combining these different notes. So um, let's use the example of music again. We have one instrument and we're trying to create an orchestra. Um, mm-hmm. that, that is also root work, combining more than one um, highly trained or highly uh, elevated spirit of a root. Um, and I think the third part uh, that really comprises root work is securing that spirit into one central location. So if we're talking about an oil or a powder or a grigri or any or anything like that, that's one central location that has to be secured right there. Because when we're talking about magic, we're talking about spirit. So spirit um, can can uh, travel more than just one central location. So we have to be clear that the magic is in that powder, in that oil, in that grigri. And so just to break it down and simplify mm-hmm. work really clearly, um, it is about elevating a spirit 
combining certain uh, uh, natural elements uh, and securing them into one location. So combining the natural properties or, you know, spiritual properties that that root has and then elevating it to use it for something else, kind of. Absolutely. Now, the difference between root work and conjure, um, conjuration, because um, you'll see you'll see it referred to as conjuration, um, which is not dissimilar to other spiritual practices, you know, and that's exactly what it is. Raising up, you know, raising up certain spirits and intelligences uh, to do certain work for you. So the use of... Um, Prayers, which act effectively as invocations or incantations, um, you get into more of the um, ritualistic aspect of hoodoo work and conjure, or, or conjure when you're talking about conjure specifically. Um, now, that, that that ritual looks different than you know the dusty tomes of your ceremonial magicians. Um, mm-hmm but it is similar in its own right. It's, it's how the culture developed rituals. Um, so root work is specifically the techniques that deal with the roots. Um, conjure is, is specifically the relationship you have with spirit and the ability to call them up um, and, to, and to build relationships with, with spirits. Uh, now, all of these things work together. You know, they're all pieces that work together. So um, it's understandable that they're usually named simultaneously, who do mm-hmm. root but yes, they're, they are different things. So a root worker isn't necessarily always a conjure, you know, conjurer either. Although some refer to them. Yeah, I would, yeah. But, yeah. I would absolutely say that. I would say, I would absolutely say that, that a root worker isn't necessarily a conjurer, man, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and a conjurer man isn't necessarily, I would say a conjurer man does have to, now if you, if you're right. a conjurer, you're not a root worker, then I got to give you the side eye on that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because that's a part of the conjuration. That's a part of the, it's still a part of the conjuration, you know, as as far as uh, root work deals with the spirit of plants. So it doesn't necessarily have to go into the ritualistic aspect of things. So I can see a root worker not not identifying with the word uh, conjurman, but um, I think in our in our language, even even amongst the people who seek uh, root workers and conjure people out, um, the the title can be um, an exchange can be um, can be uh, the same. You can call someone a root doctor or a conjurer or a hoodoo person, and they'll they'll know what you're talking about. Um, you know, the the client or the people seeking these people um, don't really need to know the difference. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so they're not going to say, oh, I'm not a conjurer Like, this, it's, not, it's not necessary. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've just always wondered that because, I mean, to me, they sounded like two very different things, but they're often referred to together. So um, yeah, I just always wanted to ask that. But I think that clears it up. One of my favorite things about hoodoo, and I think this is probably, and you can tell me more, a universal concept of most of the, ATR, of the ATRs, but is the concept of virtue and vice. And I just, I think that's, you know, being kind to your parents and like raising children appropriately, hospitality, like honesty, the common good. And I think that that part of it, you know, of all the ATRs is really what um, has had it, you know, led to sustainability and, you know, for for them being around so long. And I think a lot of, um, I guess, other religions or spirituality is lax in that a little bit, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, from my perspective, um, mainstream religions are more about control than anything else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do believe that um, people can find 
their true spirit within mainstream religions. I look at my grandmother. I mean, she she calls herself she she's Christian. I mean, I think she's more than Christian, but um, she she identifies as a Christian. Um, and the the difference is like I've met Christians who are annoying as hell, man. Like. <laughs> I mean, they always talk like they, they don't. I was like, you don't practice what you're preaching. You don't even know your own. Life. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, are you Christian or are you just a sheep following, you know, direction? Um, my grandmother was the definition of Christian to me. She, she, you, she, you felt something from her. You know, she, 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 she yeah. saw the world in a in a way that that uh, held context for her. She wasn't trying to be anything. She simply was that. People like that radiate spirit. It just, you know, yeah, you can feel it off of them. Yes. She was truly and honestly in contact with something and she believed in it as, as much as she believed in any physical thing um, to the point where that, that invisible thing responded to her, you know, and you could quantify some of this, of, of, of that response. It was, it was truly magical. You know, it was truly, it was truly spiritual. Um, and so I do think that um, no matter what religion someone is, they can have a real relationship to the divine, to God, to whatever. Um, but I think mainstream religion makes that a little harder. When it comes to uh, African traditional religions, I think it's just an intrinsic um, teaching that community is important, um, that the idea of community expands into your natural world, that every living thing has a relationship with every other living thing. And so that concept is a, is a, is a, spiritual teaching not just about not just about survival although it definitely has that benefit uh, it's a it's a lesson on how everything operates yeah and how we're all one and we all should treat each other as such you know i just yes. think that gets lost uh, nowadays but can anyone practice hoodoo i mean do they what do they need to really understand fundamentally before they get involved in doing workings Okay, so I'll, I'm going to take it from, I'm going to address the question from a, a literal standpoint first. Um, no, not everyone can practice hoodoo. Um, not everyone can just stroll up and, and, and start doing the thing, right? Um, now, I think the more specific question is, can any race, any culture, any, you know, sex, any, like all these specific, like, right. yeah. things that don't have to do with true devotion. Yes, I will say any of those, yes, um, outside of true devotion, um, true, tr- having a true gift, having a, you know, tr- being truly inspired. Yes, I do believe that anyone can approach it with the right, with the right spirit. Um, right now, you're seeing a huge um, increase in popularity um, and, and who do work in content. And here's, and here's the thing. Every culture has its folk magic, all right? There, there's, there, every single culture has its folk magic. There's Irish folk magic. There's Norse folk magic. There's European folk magic. There's Indian folk magic. Every culture has its folk magic. Um, so it's really interesting to me how people are gravitating specifically towards who do we work and conjure. And I think it's because they think that that's the only folk magic, you know, they think they think, oh, that this is folk magic. All folk magic is who do and conjure. It's, it's not. Yeah, that's that's true. I think people do think that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's a vital mistake because I, I think a lot of people are missing out on a true connection with their their cultural roots. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyone can approach it. Just you just have to. I, you gotta you gotta get to the blood, okay? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is. People shed a lot of blood, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of pain and anguish, 
um, for this tradition to survive, you know, and continue and continue forward. If, if, if you, if you can't understand, um, give it the respect that it, if, yes, if you can't give it the respect, but also like go need to dive deep into the study. Right. To, to study how it evolved, the people that it evolved from, the suffering that they had to endure. Because, you know, people want to light a candle and anoint themselves with oil and, you know, <laughs> do all these, <laughs> do all these little things, um, with no foundation. You know, without a foundation, you're really, I tell people, you're not really doing anything. You're just lighting a candle or, or anointing yourself with oil. That's not hoodoo. Lighting a candle and anointing yourself with the oil is not hoodoo. There are a million different cultures, spiritual practices that light candles and anoint themselves with oil. So what makes it what makes it specifically hoodoo? And that can be found in the foundation of the work. Yeah, and I, understanding the journey, I believe that uh, the people went through it just like similarly. My, you know, mother grew up in Germany in World War II when you know bombs were going off. You know, and she almost died several times. It's like I can't physically understand that unless I go back through her journals and things like that and read what she went through and what it felt like to live like that and what you know speak to my you know grandmother about it to, to you know that that's what I mean that's kind of how I think people have to approach it in order to understand um, what it's about. I agree. I mean, I I agree with that a thousand percent. You have to. You have to understand the spirit behind it. You know, people want the techniques, they want the spells and, and all that. Um, but but why are we even doing it? You know, why are we even, why is this recipe significant? You know, why is it important? And I think when you go back through the history, um, you start getting that story of why it's significant. Um, and in that, you truly understand how to connect um, with the work itself. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And the spirits, too. I think that that really comes from, you know, understanding that journey. Um, what are the most common spirits um, to work with in Hoodoo? Because I know we just said we made a distinction between, you know, um, you know, working with certain spirits or gods or goddesses in Voodoo and um, other types of ATRs. But what are the most common ones to work with in Hoodoo? And can you work with them? Yes. Okay. So... Um, at its core, hoodoo is ancestral veneration. Right. Right. So the, the most common, and I won't see the most common, the necessary spirits, uh, to work with before you're even beginning to practice hoodoo are your ancestors. Um, without having a strong connection with your ancestors, um, you're really shooting in the dark as far as your work is concerned. Your ancestors in the form, they give you insight, wisdom, and direction about what you should be doing, when to do it, and why you're doing it. Um, not everything is a spell. Not everything is a working. Some things, some things need to be an increase in uh, fortitude, internal strength, resilience. Um, all these, all these internal things that are going to come from your ancestors. Sometimes the work isn't to make a grigri. Sometimes the work isn't to make a powder or to fix your shoes or to to, to uh, pick a certain type of herb. Sometimes the the work is to get over it. You know what I'm saying? Patience. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your ancestors are going to give you the wherewithal in order to to do that. And I like to say that um, you know uh, why why do we harp so much on our ancestors? Um, you know, and, and what I like to say is that God never paid a bill. Um, and, and that's how our ancestors know what it means. 
yeah. you know, to, to, to live in a physical world because they've lived before. So they can help us more immediately and with more, um, with more um, empathy about our situation than praying to something that is, and, and yet there is a belief in a higher being and God and, and hoodoo, but um, our ancestors are really who we run to first. Um, now, after our ancestors, we see a lot of saint veneration because, once again, it is um, highly uh, correlated with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll you'll see Saint Michael for protection. Um, you'll see pretty much any any saint that that family or that person gravitates towards can be a relationship can be built with them. Um, you know, and the saints are the saints will the saints will work with anyone. Um, so. Anyone who practices hoodoo can can gravitate towards towards the saints. Now, um, other spirits that you can work with, as far as you see uh, Jewish mysticism involved, uh, you can work with certain. Actually, you can work with certain planetary uh, intelligences, mm-hmm. even though we don't see a heavy um, focus on astrology at all. And who do you I mean, mean, like the Olympic spirits or the Arbital? Or- well, well, no, not necessarily the Olympic spirits. I would say more uh, the spirits as they uh, present themselves in the sixth and seventh books of Moses, the seals of oh, okay. stuff like that. Um, and so I wouldn't say that there's a, um, a lean on astrology at all, but you will see certain uh, planetary spirits, um, you know, a- involved, but they're not in the same context as, as um, astrology will put them in, or even um, that ceremony magicians will put them in because they would use the same, uh, the same uh, information for their, for their work. Um, now, there are uh, a conjurement will build relationships with um, spirits that aren't necessarily named or known um, mm-hmm. that, you find, that you can't find in books, just contacts that they have, you know, certain spirits that they have stumbled across. So spirits of the dead can be, can be common wandering spirits that don't really have a place to go. Um, if you contact one and they decide to share their, their name and their desires or whatever, and you decide to build a relationship with them, that's one thing. Um, certain nature spirits, things that just reside from the earth and decide to reveal themselves uh, to a conjurement in a certain way and have a reputable, um, uh, can, can actually do work. Um, you'll see uh, conjurement forming relationships with people. Uh, uh, graveyard spirits, spirits that reside in the grave, spirits that reside in churches, spirits that reside in the river, spirits that reside reside in the woods or at the crossroads. Um, you know, so th- those are those those are some of the most common things that I would expect to hear from a, a, a conjurer. Okay. Um, speaking about um, the graveyards, what, why is graveyard dirt so important in many workings, and what um, what do you need to know before you go attempt to go? I don't know why graveyard dirt is so, I, I mean, I do know why it's so popular because that's, once again, that's limited knowledge, right? So people right. <laughs> throw it in this, throw it in that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that, it's really not, it's really not that, and you wouldn't be using graveyard dirt that often, you know? Um, so it's just one other place of many. So Well, I had, I had somebody the, the other day say to me um, that she read online about going to get graveyard dirt from a happily married couple to re, you know, reestablish her relationship. That's, with her that's crazy. That's the person. I that's was like, what? Why. That's the reason why you don't, <laughs> well, you know, okay. So there, there, there are, there are a few. <sighs> All right. So before you go in, 
before you go into the cemetery to get yourself some graveyard dirt. <laughs> you should know. Uh, <laughs> first, the graveyard is ruled by certain spirits, right? It's a kingdom. It's a house of the dead. Um, this is where the dead live their day-to-day life. That's where that's where they reside. That's where they wake up. That's where they go to sleep. It's the house of the dead. You can't just saunter into a cemetery wanting to do work. Now, it's a different thing to go into a cemetery just to lay some flowers. If you're not going to do work, then you're not necessarily um, interacting with the spirit of the dead to the same degree. It's more remembrance and respect. Now, if you go in there with the intention of calling a spirit up to communicate with a spirit to have uh, something do work for you, then you need to enter in a very certain and a particular way, which I'm I'm not going to share over this podcast. But um, unless you are confident that you are that you uh, know how to enter a cemetery. For, I don't suggest that you enter a cemetery at all. Okay. Uh, next, Everybody heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's it's dangerous. You know, these spirits will follow you out. You know, um, they'll follow you out. They'll plague you along the way. Um, now, as far as a married couple and whatnot in a cemetery, um, cemeteries aren't all bad. They're like any other kingdom. You can do good and bad at any any of these places. You can do it's good like the world. Bad. The world is a mix of good and bad too. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Absolutely. So if if you do know how to proceed in the cemetery, if you do know how to pay, pay mm-hmm. <laughs> for graveyard <laughs> dirt, <laughs> you don't just take graveyard <laughs> dirt. Um, then then you can perhaps find the dirt of um, of a, a nurse or a doctor. Who could potentially cause healing, but then you know, to me, that's a long way around. I would only do that if I only had access to a cemetery because there are other places that are a little more potent in the healing energy or the healing section. Or if I had an ancestor who was buried at a graveyard who I knew mm-hmm. was a doctor or a nurse, then that might be where I would uh, run to first, yeah. that type of work. Yeah. But but um, you know, there's no situation where you can read a spell online that says. Go get graveyard dirt to reunite a married couple. I don't care if it is a marriage counselor who died. <laughs> I don't <laughs> care if it is a therapist. You don't know that person. You don't know. Yeah. You know. You have no connection to them. So really, you're just grabbing a random person's dirt and hoping for the best, which is always a bad idea. Yeah. Um, so, you know, on that line, why is ancestral veneration so important in hoodoo and, and conjure? And how can someone start to develop a practice that involves honoring their ancestors, you know, on a day-to-day basis? And then, you know, also if you could talk about, like, how to set up an altar, because that's the question I get asked a lot as well, and offerings. Okay. Um, so, um why is it so important? So I have, first off, it's, th- it's something that naturally happens um, within, first, uh, you know, within the African-American culture, I think, and other cultures too, but um, I hear this. Your ancestors. Yeah, especially from, from people of color. Um, they'll, they'll say, you know, something told me or I was directed and I don't know how or the voice of my grandmother comes to me when this certain thing happens. Um, it's a conversation that happened that, that happens a lot within these communities. Um, you know, something told me and it, it's first, it, it's our ancestors that are speaking to us, you know, in a, in a, re- in a very loud and real way. Um, so, so that's something that needs to be healed first. We have to talk about healing, um, how to actually follow the, the directions that you're hearing from your ancestors, the wisdom and guidance that they're actually uh, 
sharing with you um, to get started in, in practicing, no matter what race or culture you come from, it needs to be with an ancestor altar. It's necessary to have an ancestor altar to piggyback off of, of the conversation that some people are naturally hearing the voices of their ancestors. The next comment is, well, if I'm hearing them, then why do I need an ancestor altar? I'm already communicating with them. Um, an ancestor altar is a completely different discipline. And it has different benefits and drawbacks um, that are important for um, someone who's going to truly carry this work to understand and to become consistent with. Um, an ancestor altar creates a reciprocity. So you have an exterior representation of an internal process. It's a very important uh, zero point. I've never happens. heard it referred to that way. That makes sense. Okay. Yes, it's a very important zero point that happens between the person who holds the blood and DNA of their ancestors. It's important to know that your ancestors aren't ghosts, right? Like they're just not floating in in space waiting to be be talked to. Right. They're inside of you. You you are them. They are they're literally you are literally them. They are literally you, right? Um, they are the foundation on which you stand, literally, because their bones are in the earth. There's a lot of literal literal things that are happening here. A lot of um, relationships that already exist that we don't really acknowledge in our in our, in our culture. Um, between- no, we don't. It's a shame because. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. It is a shame. There, it's an interlocking relationship that isn't something that we're creating. It's something that we're honoring, you know, something that we're remembering, something that we're supporting. Um, the ancestor altar is a is a um, it's a working space. It's a telephone. It's a meeting spot. Um, it's it's so it's it's working on your ancestors and through your ancestors yourself. Um, so it's. It, it, before you, before you light one candle, before you, you anoint yourself with one oil, before you want to read one Psalms, before you want to go to the cemetery and collect yourself a stranger's dirt, um, <laughs> where you should, where you should know, um, it, you should have the wisdom, support, and protection of your ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they should be informing you about what direction your life needs to be evolving and um, what lessons you need to learn and how to, um, how to uh, deal with the hurdles and struggles that come in learning those lessons. Um, you know, that's, that's why it's so important. That is what hoodoo is. It's about survival. You know, it, how, how are you going to survive if you don't have the, the, guidance the, and, yeah. the guidance of the people who have survived, who have passed their wisdom for the wisdom that you're attempting to, to incorporate in your own life. How are you not petitioning the people who have tones of wisdom? that they've already accumulated, you know, it's not, it's not you, you didn't start this, ain't nothing new under the sun, you know? So it's like, you know, while you, you, you have to refer to the work that's already been done. Otherwise, what are you, what are you really doing? You're not learning anything new. Yeah. It's, that's, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, what about offerings though? Should, um, you know, should you give, you know, part of your dinner and things like that to your ancestors? I like put on the altar every day or is that too much or is that okay? No, not enough. Um, <laughs> um, so everything that you put on your ancestor altar contains material, right? And a certain type of energy because energy is wrapped up in that material. Um, as that energy, as those materials are consumed um, that or, or, you know, uh, you know, otherwise decayed. Right. Uh, that energy goes to your ancestors. Your ancestors don't operate off of thin air. 
You know, you have to give them material in order for them to do the work. So every light that you put on your ancestor altar illuminates them, allowing them to illuminate you. Every time you put a cup of coffee on the altar, they are invigorated, allowing them to invigorate you. Every time you put a cup of water on the ancestor altar, they are refreshed, allowing them to refresh you. It is a given as a take. The more you, the more offerings and gifts and, and veneration and time and energy that you put on your ancestor altar, the more of that you will get back. Um, they just know what to do with it <laughs> better than you do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, giving flowers and thanks for blessings have, having been received, giving gifts on your ancestors' birthdays, you know, the ones that have passed or their death day, um, or certain things like that, coffee and tobacco, uh, cigarettes and, and liquor, certain vices are really good for spirits of the dead. Now, our ancestors are a different class of spirit of the dead, right? They're, they have passed, um, but because they reside in our, in our blood, they still live on in a different way than someone who we don't know. We can't contact someone you know, who we don't know or have a blood connection with in the same way that we can call our ancestors. Um you know, so that, that, that blood connection is, is really, really important. They may be a different type of dead spirit, but they still like the stuff that dead spirits like, like liquor. Spirits, dead spirits love liquor and tobacco yep. <laughs> and, and, and vices. I mean, it makes sense to me because if I've been, if I haven't had a sip of whiskey in like 20 years, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. loving that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to do some work? Yes. <laughs> So things that belong to them are ways to entice them to your ancestor altar, you know, um, but the point of an ancestor altar is to have that direct communication, to create a strong um, line of communication between them and, and you. So eventually the point is for you to begin hearing them. If you haven't heard them in the past, um, you should be hearing them if you have a strong relationship with them at your ancestor altar. If you have heard them in the past, um, their voice should be louder and clearer. Now, um, I like to call uh, our ancestors, our young ancestors and our old ancestors, which mean, which means that um, on the front lines, you know, you're going to get, you know, grandma who you've had to have, you've might've had a conversation with while she was living. Mm -hmm. um, great grandma, because she's had a conversation with grandma. And so now that your grandmother's talking to you, great grandma's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, so so she'll, come, she'll come up, right? Yeah. And so you keep on, the more you practice and the more dedication that you have to this, the more consistency, the further and further you'll go down your family line. It's a, it's a, it's a line, you know, it's a lineage. So the more uh, ancestors that will become uh, um, strongly aware of you and the more um, ancestors you will become strongly aware of. Now, um, there's a point where your old ancestors come up, and those are the ones whose names we've forgotten, right? Those who are right. in our bloodline who don't have an obituary, not, you know, haven't le really left anything behind. Um, but they'll come up, and they're they're more for me, and I'll say for me mm -hmm. because uh, you know Congo ancestors, <laughs> they can be uh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, for me, they're more about where our, where our ancestors can help with immediate things like um, healing relationships within the family, um, increased income, healing, love work, you know, because love is a part of survival, you know, having families and building those things. Um, our older ancestors are more about um, strength, fearlessness, fighting the fight. Um, you know, I've got to say cursing or working against your enemies because that is a necessary skill of survival as well. If someone is encroaching on your territory or, 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 or being a, a real and honest threat to your future survival, you're going to probably need to um, stop that. And that's um, your right. That's something I want to say, you know, right? I mean, that is your right to do that if somebody is, you know, throwing work your way is to turn it right back at them. Absolutely. A lot of people worry about karma and, you know, what karma is. And I think they don't really understand what karma is. You know, God doesn't punish you for doing magic and or even black magic. But, you know, it, he he understands that, you know, you got to protect yourself for things. I mean, at least that's how I see it. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, the concept of conjure doesn't that's the concept. The concept of karma does not exist in, in uh, hoodoo root work and conjure. Um, it, first off, it's an Eastern idea, so it really doesn't exist here either. People yeah. are just like superimposing stuff on top of things. They don't really understand what it really means and the deeper spiritual lessons that are taught um, when karma comes up in the right context, which I, I think karma is a fantastic lesson. Um, but it has more to do with lifetimes and the accumulation of, of you know, how you've evolved as a human being or a person who is incarnated, not like, you know, if you step, you know, right. yeah. do something bad, someone's going to step on your toe, you know. Um, so, and Hoodoo wasn't really concerned with what it was like, if you cross this line, I'm gonna fuck you up. Like, period. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, days, I mean, that's how it was. It's like, you know, Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, and that was, and that was it. But always with wisdom and discretion from your, from the, from the point of view of your ancestors, right? Those who see above us and could, and could paint the bigger picture, and not, you know, we as human beings can only see the trees, situations that are right in front of us. They can see the forest, you know. Uh, so if we're feeling like, oh, I need to do something about this, you know, and you're really angry about that, usually that anger and that emotion is a good sign that you shouldn't do something. Exactly. Um, it's too in your face. It's too immediate. Go to your ancestor altar, bring it to them. They'll tell you how to handle the situation. Sometimes it is to do work against that individual. And sometimes it's, no, you were wrong. You know, you were actually wrong. So you just need to move on. Yeah. Um, it's also, you were talking about um, asking your ancestors and how important is divination and, and, you know, actually checking with them before you do anything. Absolutely necessary. Yeah. So we don't, you know, once again, us human beings love our trees. We love to see the trees and think that that's the whole forest. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I like to use the example. Um, very reactionary. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so I like to use the example that a client comes to you and says, um, you know, can you do a, a working for me so that I can get this job? Um, and you're like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, you know, nothing's wrong with that. That's, that's cool. You know, nothing negative can come from that. But what if in the case that this person um, was a person who did nothing, put no work in for themselves and this spell that they wanted was um, a quick fix. And then you have someone else who's in line for the same job who yeah. really, really needs it, who doesn't have any income, 
who has a family they need to take care of, uh, better qualified than this other individual. Um, and because of your spell working, you took that job from the person who, um, by all uh, you know, uh, intensive purposes, deserved it more than your client. Did you do something positive or did you do something negative? Um, we can't quantify those things. We can't call anything purely positive or negative. It's it's impossible to know how these different uh, um, these different variables uh, act in the world. You know, all these different variables are how they um, communicate with one another. If something at the end of the day is truly good or truly bad, our ancestors know. Our ancestors can look at that entire mathematical equation and say, this is something you should do. This is something you shouldn't do. So if the work is quote unquote good or quote unquote bad, um, you still need to contact, communicate with your ancestors because even if in your perception it's good and even if in your perception it's bad, your ancestors need to give you the green light. Yeah. And you can't see every possible variable to everything either. There's so many hidden things that you don't think about. You know, it's like that seems so innocent, but yeah, there's a million different uh, variables that come into play. Do you use tarot for divination or do you use uh, Chamalongo or what do you use? I use both. Um, it depends on, it depends on um, the context of the question. Um, if, if I'm going to be using tarot or Chamalongos, um, but yes, I, I do use both. Okay. Um, can you explain the process of heating or cooling a spirit, like how to manage the fire in it? Um, if I'm saying that right, but I've been reading about how you use in different workings, you have to add heat to them. You know, if something's you're trying to heat it, you know, spice it up like a relationship or whatever, or if I you're mean, trying to, yeah, like cool somebody down. So like that. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, for me, when it comes to, to, to workings, I don't, um, I don't uh, see workings in that context, hot or cold. Okay. Um, see it as, you know, I mean, there's certain words like, um, you know, sweetening. That, yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. but, but that's not really the same as cooling. Okay. Um, I see, I see cooling, uh, and this is just everything that that I've learned through my through my time. Um, I've never heard someone. I've never heard um, sweetening referred to as a cooling action, although it essentially is. You know what I'm saying? But right. um, you know. Uh, for me, when someone says uh, making something hotter or making something colder, they're specifically talking about their spirits. Um, so you'll see it in um, the, the voodoo, Haitian voodoo, um, where they're talking about hot spirit, especially with, with the voodoo. The, they'll, they'll talk about hot and cold spirits more often um, than you'll hear a hoodoo talk about, it, although there are aspects of it in hoodoo, which I'll get to in a moment. But in Haitian voodoo, you'll, you'll have the rada, which are hot spirits, right? Mm. Uh, I'm sorry. Petro, Whew, don't let nobody hear this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. The pet, the petro are, you know, like Patron, right? Like you know, petroleum. Like they're hot. They're they're, right. they're on fire. Um, those are really really hot spirits. They act. They act quickly. They act with anger. They act um, with strength. Um, and then you have your cool spirits, which I believe are the Rada. I'm not uh, an initiate into Haitian voodoo, so I'm not going to speak on authority with that, but I do know those two things, um, that the Petros are your hot spirits and the Rada are your, are your cooler spirits. Um, 
And I, I like to look at that because you asked earlier about the correlation with other African traditional religions, and I think this is one of one of them. Um, when you come to the hoodoo, which is an evolution of that in America, right, which is in a certain context um, through the transatlantic slave trade, so we see some similarities. But um, in one way, it's a watering down of it, um, and not a watering down in a bad way, because other things were added, so it's still a cohesive and strong tradition. It's that specific practice looks it it, it, it um, thinned out a little bit, um, in my opinion. So. Um, on a hoodoo altar, when you're dealing with your ancestors, you can add, so an old practice is using things that are called uh, blue anil. They're these little balls or these little um, square tablets. Um, over that you use in your wash? Yeah, it's the same thing. Yes. Oh, okay. um, so we're using blue anil. So you often see glasses of water on, on hoodoo ancestor altars. Uh-huh. Um, so if you have like really strong Congo spirits coming up, and you you open your altar one day and they're like drums are blazing and <laughs> you know then you're like oh okay so I guess this is what's happening right now and it can mean a lot of different things if your ancestor altar is really hot or or really cooking I'm not talking about the spirits but your altar if it, if it's, it's really um, fortified right. um, then if someone's working against you or negative things are coming towards you your 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 older ancestors the ones that are ready to fight could be the ones that greet you right with the message of so someone's working against you um we have it's time to go to war let's pick it up it's time for for us to like really put on you know our our war outfit um when that happens let's say let's say okay you know yes it's time for us to go to war but i can't be out here in these streets you know with with zebra on you know (laughs) burning down everyone's house like i can't i can't do that although they will make you feel that way sometimes They'll give you that kind of ain't that kind of you know righteous anger that you know you just have to go do something about this. Um, it may be wise sometimes, and other times it may not be. So you really have to exercise the sermon. Um, but it may be wise to place a, a blue anil in your in your water on your ancestor altar to help cool them down a little bit, to where they may be able to communicate with you about how to strategically. Uh, um, deal with the situation um, instead of um, everything that happens at your ancestor altar also happens within you because there is a connection. So when those spirits are coming up at your ancestor altar, they can have a direct effect on your temperament. Um, and if you have to go to work and have to be in this uh, physical world doing um, certain things, that's, that can be a detriment. Um, so if you're putting the blue anil in, in your water, that can help calm, calm that down. So you have a little more mental space, emotional space to analyze the situation. Um, as far as heating spirits up, let's say you, because you, I do allow my ancestor altar to go dark sometimes, which means that um, sometimes it's kicking too much. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, like y'all need to... <laughs> 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 like I can't, I can't, I can't deal. Especially yeah. when you, especially when you do like big workings, and you've been doing big workings over the space of days or weeks, mm-hmm. they can pouring through. And, and and our ancestors have no concept of time or privacy. Or right. And so, <laughs> and so you know that could be that could be a real middle of the night. Who cares? <laughs> who cares? That could that could be a real issue too. So sometimes I allow my ancestor altar to go dark just so I can rebalance. It doesn't mean that I'm pushing them away. It means I'm rebalancing. It's a relationship. So I can't have them in my ear twenty four seven. I have a physical life that I'm living. Do you um, do dead time like? you know, every day or every week or something where you have a specific 
you know, time to talk to your ancestors? Yes, every morning and every night. Uh, so when I wake up, I start my morning off with a certain prayer. And depending on what I'm trying to bring through through in that day um, will depend on the prayer that I'm saying. I have um, charms that stay on my altar in specific places. Um, and there are certain prayers that are said over that charm. And to my ancestors, the charm is worn over my shirt to under my shirt. I typically wear my charms under my shirt so that people don't see what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. I really... I, I really believe in a plain appearance, no uh, funny headdresses, <laughs> because you want, you know, I, it's you about to tell everybody you're, yeah, that's another thing is when I, you like see people on Facebook posting, I put a curse on you. Know, so it's like, what? What do you, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that kind of yeah. defeats the purpose, but okay. It really does, though. But you know what? And, and then I think, you know, this person is clearly not that learned. Yeah. Uh, so there is a there is a psychological aspect of magic. There is. Yeah. And so if you don't know what you're doing, maybe the best you can do is manipulate someone psychologically. If you say, Oh, I put a curse on you, perhaps it'll put fear in their heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, I mean well, I, I speaking I, bad about somebody anyways is basically, you know, throwing work their way, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. And then certain actually that's a whole science in and of itself, but um, you know, certain things that you decide to say or not say can activate work that you've done behind the scenes. Um, oh, so, okay. you know, it could be an interlocking thing as well. Um, you wouldn't want to, you would never want to post it on social media and you would never directly tell, you would never directly tell someone what you've done. Like as far as work, well, I've cursed you, but you right. may say something that directs someone else in a, in a, to, to do or say something that could activate something that you've done uh, behind the closed doors. So, uh, okay. So what you're saying, that's, uh, that's a, another way. What? Stuff. How do you protect yourself from things like that? Um, you know, people talking bad about you. A lot, there are a lot of different ways to protect yourself. So, um, when you, if you are scratched and into, if you, if you are scratched into Palo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those scratches are a very strong form of protection, right? They stay on your body. They're blessed in a certain way. Um, that's a very strong protection. Um, I guess I'll, I'll only talk about the way that I do it. Um, so the, the, the ways that are really important to me for protection, um, are protecting my physical body, mm-hmm. um, from, Ill- from illnesses or, um, just personal physical attack, attacking my place. I'm sorry. Um, protecting my my living quarters, um, including my shop, um, with certain powders at the front door, wards above the front door, mm-hmm. um, camera blocks into each of the of the furniture, performing certain rituals. I, I do perform the lesser banishing of the ritual, uh, lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram every day at the shop. Um, I do place uh, four railroad spikes at the cardinal points of, of my home. Um, I do believe that cleansing is the is a direct, um, um, uh, it's a necessary thing to protection. Mm-hmm. So a cleansing is a type of protection. Um, if anything has come through, you're you're constantly putting pushing it out. Um, I you can fix the bottom of your shoes with protection oil. You can anoint. Um, religious charms or any type of charm with protection oil to give it a little more oomph. Uh, keeping your head covered with a hat or, or, or a scarf or something like that is a good way um, oh, of really? protection. Uh, wearing light colored clothes mm-hmm. uh, are a, is a good way of protection. Now, these things may not make sense 
um, when when they're just said and heard. Um, but it is in the practice of them that they it begins to dawn on you how uh, they are protection mechanisms. Um, yeah. Protecting and cleansing. I'm sorry. No, sorry. That it makes sense to me. I get, I get it. <laughs> it is in. Um, it is. Uh, uh, protection and cleansing are the two most important um, uh, practices in, in, in my in my um, in my uh, toolbox. Um, the most important practices in my toolbox um, to protect from the evil eye. You know, sometimes they'll use malovio or the evil eye beads and, and a glass of water. I don't do that. Um, I don't feel okay. the need. Egg well, they'll do the egg or they'll do the malohio, the little beads, the little eye, the blue eye beads mm-hmm. from Turkey. Um, I've seen um, spiritual workers do do that. Um, mirrors on the front of your door or across the street. And so, uh, you know, one thing that I do, you won't see any mirrors on my front door, but there are mirrors all around me placed in strategic places to reflect, um, to, to deflect certain things that may happen at my front door. Um so it's little things like that that aren't really important to me. Um, in a city like New Orleans, which mm-hmm. is saturated with workers, yeah, um, you know, I think it's more important to be sneaky, right? So I don't want to put a mirror in my on my front door because it's a mirror on my front door that they know they know exactly why I'm doing it. Um, but if I put a mirror across the street facing my front door, it has a similar effect without them being able to find it. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess you have to you have to be trickier about it. And, uh, oh yes. In Dallas, I don't have that problem so much here, except for people that just look at me strange, like what? Why would you have something? Like that? Um. So what what happens when? Because I get this question all the time when you're doing a love spell on somebody. What's actually happening there? And like, and I'm talking about a coercive love spell. Um. So there there are a few there are a few. Um, things that are outside of there, there are a few things that are outside of human control, right? Mm-hmm. So we manipulate a lot of these little small things, um, you know, money, luck, you know, all these, all these wonderful things. We can call love to us, um, all those great things. That's not a course of necessarily love spell, but right. uh, as far as um, true love goes, as far as true love goes, that is a divine thing. That is outside of human control. We can't control it, although we try our damnedest to. Yeah. We can't control when we fall in love. We can't control when we fall out of love. We can't control when it happens. We can't control where it happens. We can't control the intensity of it. There is no aspect of love that we can control. Now, when someone comes to a, a conjurement or a root doctor and says, make this person fall in love with me. And if the, that particular conjurement or root doctor has no morals, um, you know, have no, has no ethics, then they'll say, fine, you know, fuck it. I don't care. This is your, this is your, your life. Um, but can I, I can't, I'm sorry. I, I curse a little bit. No, it's okay. I, Go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're not safe for work, so it's fine. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, uh, <laughs> there, or should be. <laughs> it's your life. As soon as you pay me, I wash my hands of it. So, you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm just a facilitator. I'm not, you know, in this with you. And so they'll do the work. Um, now, all they're doing is emulating love. It is not love. For a short period of time, too, right? For a short period of time. And I found love spells to last a year. Um, they seem to consistently last a year. 
Um, the problem with those type of love spells is because they are a sort of domination, you're crushing someone else's will in favor of yours. Um, is a few things too, I'm sure, you know, at on some level. And then yeah. resentment. I've just I've just heard so many stories of them going wrong, you know. They will always go wrong. You know, they will always go wrong because you're putting someone in, a, in, a, in an emotional cage. You know, the person may not know what happened or why, um, but somewhere, like you said, somewhere deep inside on some level, they do know. Um, and they'll start they'll start um, fighting against it um, without really knowing what's happening. I've seen uh, people become addicted to drugs, you know, as an escape. I've so seen crazy and come stalking the person like that. Yeah. yeah. Stalking, become violent, especially, I mean, let's say you do the working and now, you know, you've, it's, it lasts about a year. So that's time to move in, you know, have someone share the bed with you, you know, build something with someone. They can start dismantling that, you know, through violence and through, um, you know, all types of things. Um, it's never, at the end of the day, it's never a good idea to do that work. Never, never, never a good idea. And another thing people should think about is usually when you want to force someone to be in love with you, chances are you don't know that person very well. Yeah. May have one for a few months. Um, you, or if they you want their ex back, there's a reason why the relationship didn't work. Right, yeah. right, so. right. And so now you're just wrapping yourself up in that. Um, love spells, uh, th- those type of specific targeted love spells are never a good idea. Um, I always try to talk my, I always try to talk my clients off the, the potential clients off the edge of doing those type of works. And then I tell them I don't do it. Um, but of course they're going to go call up 50 other people. But so when they get to me, hopefully I can just put a little fear in their heart about, um, you know, what may potentially happen due to that choice. Instead of, like I said, you'll get people and they'll say, oh, yes, great. You want love? I'll shower you in rose petals and, you know, you'll have all the love you want. You know, and it, it, may, it may work. If they're a talented worker, it may, it may work. They may get exactly what they're asking for. Well, I mean, don't you think on some level, though, you can do things like, um, you know, like the star anise bath um, to sweeten your aura? Um, to make you more attractive, I guess, the opposite sex, not to a certain person per se. But I think those I think those are pretty effective. Yes, as long as it isn't towards a specific person, yes, we can call them all day. We can we can sweeten our own selves to attract love. We can light candles as a beacon to attract love. We can carry love drawing grigris to help as a hand to sift out between all of the people who may not be beneficial to us. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's two different two different things. But yes, when you're ready for love, when you're, when you feel like you want to share your life with someone, um, yeah, there's absolutely spiritual work that you can do to draw that person uh, to you. Um, but when people say love, they're typically talking about like one person, right? um, Right. which is the problem. That's, that's when you, that's when you start getting into all that hairy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And when it can go really wrong. (laughs) Now, going on to a whole different uh, thing is goofer dust. Why is it so dangerous and what is it and what is it used for? Um, so <laughs> goofer, goofer, a real, real goofer dust mm-hmm. uh, uh, typically uses a poison from a certain, um, from a certain animal. Um, and that poison is uh, used much in the same way that we discussed root work earlier. Uh-huh. Um, in order to create a powder or a dust. So that's goofer dust. Um, goofer dust is, is I wouldn't say, it is it, it is a dangerous recipe. It's a dangerous recipe. Like you um, accidentally goofer yourself or something? And- 
Well, I mean, if you're stupid, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, you probably shouldn't be making goofer dust if you can goofer yourself. <laughs> don't don't do that. You're not ready. To make I won't be. I won't be making it anytime. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like anyway, I, I mean, yeah. So powders in general, the way that they work, um, powders or, or dusts, um, typically. Um, they rely on um, uh, the powder getting on the bottom of an individual of an individual shoe. To, that's why you're going to usually line door doors with it. Um, when a person steps in the goofer dust, it tracks it throughout their house, through their car, um, throughout their life. So it's a curse that follows them around absolutely everywhere, unknowingly. Okay. Um, it's a poison that follows them around absolutely everywhere. You know, unknowingly. Um, that's why goofer dust is so effective. Um, if it is applied uh, in the right way and it, and, and it does get on the bottom of someone's shoe or feet, which would be originally what would be more likely getting on the bottom of their of their feet, the, the ingredients alone could kill them. Um, so that's why goofer dust is widely known as a, as a powder that could potentially cause death. Um, but um, beyond that, it is a, a highly effective cursing powder. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the most popular request you get for workings? There's an, I, I'm going to go ahead and say love spells, but. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's, you're right. <laughs> that's it. It's always the love spell. I always want, I always want my lover back, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are the ones that I turn down the most. Yeah. How many reputable root workers and conjure people are really out there these days? It seems like you hear so many bad stories. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I, I've you know looked looked online and everything, and I th- there there isn't one negative review about you online. And it's like you look for everybody else, and there's fifty million ripoff report, left, right, etc. It's just you know it seems like they're everywhere. But you know, and I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I can't give you a number. Um, what I'll say is that old school root workers uh, typically live in the shadows. I mean, they're not, they're not old school isn't really going to open up a shop and they're going to have their clients who come to their house. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, new school, um, meaning so somebody still, who knows somebody who told you. Yeah. I mean, new school, you still have the same blessing, but you're a little more comfortable. You're not as hidden. You're, you're typically more educated. Um, you know, and I hate, to, I mean, but that's the truth. It, 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 you know, um, you're typically a little more public due to being raised in the uh, era of social media and whatnot. Right. So you see differences between old school and new school. The blessing is all the same. Um, I, I, from, I've met a couple of, root, of people who call themselves root workers, and sure they may know the thing or two, but um, there, there's a there's a blessing. I mean, there there's a light that that I mean, you could see them from across the street, even if. Even if you don't, you haven't had a conversation with the, this person, if they are a root worker or not. Um, when I first opened the shop, um, you know, of course, the local root workers scuttled from underneath their holes and decided <laughs> to see, you know, who was the yeah, shop. Yeah. The, the old school ones who don't come out. They do come out. You just don't see them, yeah. right? They're a, a, part, a part of hiding in, in plain sight is, uh, hiding in plain sight is a part of this work. Yeah. Uh, so um, they came out from their shadows <laughs> and, and decided to check me out. Um, what I mean is that there was this older black man, right? Mm-hmm. And 
um, you know, what I've, one thing that I'll say about uh, root work, hoodoo, um, is bec- is that it does have a very strong cultural um, foundation. That cultural foundation can be manipulated and should be. Um, it's a part of the work itself. So you use people's stereotypes against them. Um, so you see an old black man dressed in rags and you can make all types of assumptions and people do. Um, this person isn't at all what you would assume, assume, but they're using those assumptions against you, which is how they hide and play inside, right? Yeah. So this person comes into the shop and, um, you know, just a, a person who came into the shop. Okay. You know, um, and they're looking around and, I'm, and, and, me, I'm like, this is probably an old school root worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, by, just by the way that they are. Like the, the one that you look over all the time is usually the one, it's usually that person. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I straight up asked them because I don't got time. You know, like let's, you know, if you, I, you know, you, you can play these games with people who don't know. <laughs> you know, <that's>, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I straight up ask him, like, you know, are you are you a root worker? Are you do you? And and he said, you know, yes, young man, I am. You know, and so you know, we began to have a conver a conversation. He was very eloquent, um, very well spoken. You'll find that in a lot of root workers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll present themselves a certain way, but there's a whole different world going in going on inside than this going on outside. Um, it's a part of, it's a part of the work. Um, so I know that they're still around. I've met a few of them. Um, I've had conversations with a few of them. Um, they're hard to find and you'll, you'll talk to them whenever they want to be talked to, not the other way around. <laughs> um, but there's, but it's, it's, it's a, no one can, no one can quantify it. No one can, I don't, I don't even no, it's just kind of my point. You know, I don't, I don't think I've run into them too often, and yeah, and and sounds like you know you don't either. So it's just, I guess, the advice you know could give to the listeners is to kind of do your homework as best as you can, right, and go with your gut. You really have to believe in somebody anyway, if you're going yeah. to do what working for you. I see all these people who are online talking about um, negative, positive reviews. Um, you know, just because you have a little website and you wear a little head wrap and you, you know, you say some stuff doesn't make you a, a root doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it just doesn't. Um, most people who, who really have the blessing wouldn't call themselves anything. They, they, they're just the person that you go see, you know, right. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's and so people claim to be authorities and, and just what, and what authority, what, who gave you what authority for that? It's, it's uh, interesting. I mean, people, get anything these days to make a buck, but. Uh, there's a certain humility that I find, I think in a lot of the. the that's the, obvious. The, that. Well, yeah. One of the main issues that I find in, in some people is they come, they introduce themselves with all these titles and all these you know, who I'm this and I'm that. And, I, and, and no one cares. You know, no one, no one cares. What you could, first off, most of the people aren't even in that world to know what those titles mean. Um, and then, you know, what does is, what is you being a, uh, a voodoo priest have to do with hoodoo? Not a damn thing. It's a whole different, it's a whole different tradition. It's a whole different, you know, it's okay, so you're, you're, you may be a voodoo uh, 
Ugon or, or Mambo, that does not automatically qualify you to be a root worker. It doesn't. Um, so I don't like when people lead with, um, with titles. Um, you just say like, I, I tell people, you can call me whatever. I don't care what you call me. You can call me bald headed black man. I don't care. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm still, you're still going to be that person that people go to or not. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, if you truly have a blessing, then you have a blessing and people will find you. Do people try to test you? Do you get that often? No, I don't, I'm not, I'm not one. No, I, I don't find that people try to test me. I mean, what do you, what do you mean? Because I, I do feel like some people try to test, but I think we're talking about two different things. Well, no, <laughs> just try to, te- like, to try to say, you know, when people, are you really witch? Like, you know, kind of, and they're trying to, I, I don't know. They just try to te- like kind of test you and to see what you're made out of. To see if you're fully I've never gotten that question before. Are you really, do you really do this or whatever? Um, you know, I just you know, say, yeah, I do. You know, I don't really carry on with them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, then the people that say, well, sh- show me something. That's what I mean. Like, do something. It's like, what? I'm not a magician. I mean, what? <laughs> we do yeah. You know, that's kind of like, that's, that's a different thing. That's like, we're not even having those conversations <laughs> over here. We're talking about other stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just, I just say, yeah, you know, no, I can't. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. You know, if they're if they're in the shop and I have to be professional, then um then I'll, you know, be professional. But um, you know, if they ask me that on the sh- streets, I'll probably just ignore them and walk away. Only because Well, because you you're should- a public figure, you have that you have your YouTube channel. I mean, I suppose people recognize you quite often and you probably get some silly questions quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But you seem to handle it all in good, you know, good spirit. And it depends. <laughs> depends on what day and what time of the day <laughs> the question comes. Well, listen, I really appreciate you coming on. It's really been a pleasure. And, um, yeah, thank you so, so much. Thank you all for having me. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Okay. Be well. Thank you. You too.